episode 61. Welcome to Vino 101. I'm Phil. Hello, everybody. This is Al. Uh, we're going to start out with some fun stuff. Uh, I was looking for some fun stuff to talk about, and well, I think I found it. Uh, let me see if I can dig <laughs> it up here. We got uh, we got Snoop Dogg is uh, launching his own label, and actually. Um, I, I tweeted this a few days ago and the bottle barn, they came to it and they said, Hey, we've had that before, you know, we're going to get some more in. And it, I guess it's on allocation. That's how popular it is, Bill. So we're not talking about gin and juice here. We're talking about, um, uh, California red, Cali red, old, um, Cali red, Cali red. <laughs> red. And, um, it's in conjunction with the teen crimes, um, which is a um, uh, Australian-based um, wine company. So it's Snoop Cali Red. Have you had it, Bill? No, no. But I will go buy a bottle of it no. to try it. Give me a bottle of it. I know it's. You know how it is. I know. I, this yeah, is in conjunction my, with all of the uh, celebrity, yeah. the celebrity wines that are coming out. I mean, I, on the last podcast, we were talking about. Um, the ladies that were doing the the uh, clean wine. Well, I don't know. This probably doesn't fall under the realm of clean wine. Probably not. But I bet you it's probably uh, pretty juicy, pretty red, um, barely sweet. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll get we're gonna try that, and we'll get back to you on um, what the double OGs uh, doing in the wine business. He um he does make an it- there's an interesting line in here that the. Uh... He says that the cannabis community, he said the wine community is just about as good as the cannabis community because it's always a great conversation with peace and good food. Mm. And that, that's true. Yeah. You know, that's true. He goes, it's very social at the end of the day. And I also <clears throat> thought there was some, or maybe it might've been on another site that I saw, but. You know, there was something about sort of making wine accessible to people. Um, and that's a good, you know, that's a good thing. Well, he's, I mean, he's, he's branched off a lot from rapping. I mean, remember uh, years ago, his collaboration with Martha Stewart, that was pretty popular. I think that had like a three-year run yeah. on the Food, food Network. Um, I saw a few episodes. It's kind of, kind of interesting and kind of funny. But uh, the guy definitely has uh has the knack for reinventing himself and staying uh, staying in the mainstream. So. Yeah, and the 19 Crimes, if you go to their website, they did make a... They say something about sort of... And there's something about second chances in there and being able to reinvent yourself. So that's uh, one of the... And I, I don't know. I didn't do much research on 19 Crimes, but they're, they seem to be pretty, pretty large in terms of their um, production. But um, yeah cool stuff from Snoop Dogg. All right, moving on. You want to talk about some Bordeaux? This I really <laughs> liked uh, the, the Bordeaux uh, angle. And this is a short article. It was a good but, article. Uh, I like that. So first of all, I just like the I like the curmudgeon. And yeah, the wine, yeah. And the wine rant whole thing. And it, yeah, I mean, this whole I mean, the whole thing here is you know, hey, we need to sell more wine, so let's run an awesome, you know, a gazillion dollar marketing campaign. No, why don't you just lower the cost of your your entry price wines for like five bucks? Maybe you'll sell more. I mean, I'm over I'm oversimplifying the argument, but 
um, he is making the point that, you know, the wine business in general is not reaching the younger market. And in the case of Bordeaux, he's saying it's all it's all about the price. I mean, you know, what there were some nuggets in this article I loved about. Um, I, I often get retailers pitching six hundred fifty dollar bottles on sale. Yeah, <laughs> you know that's not going to work. This is not going to work. I get that all the time. I'll get stuff like I just got something um, a few days ago. It was about um, some uh, top growth. Um, Pomerol and uh, and this and their second label and it was talking about it was incredibly discounted and I think it was like hundred and ninety five dollars a bottle for the the top growth and then the second one was like a hundred dollars a bottle and I was and I was thinking to myself why are they sending this to me but it's just because I get well, you know, kind a, of yeah you're on a list somewhere I'm on a list but it's yeah. like I'm not I mean, buying who's buy, who's, a freaking $200 bottle that I've never tasted from. <laughs> I'm just not going to do that. Who does I, that? I guess there are, you know, quote unquote collectors that do that. I would say they're uninformed buyers, though. Yeah. But I, you know, there are people that want to buy the $190 bottle because it is a $190 bottle and serve it to their friends because it's a $190 bottle, I guess. Yeah, I guess I suppose you're right there. I just, um, you know, the whole point of his article is that, well, that's great you're doing that, but a young person, anybody under 35, 35 or 40, they're just looking for something to wash down their pizza. Yeah, <laughs> they're not going to take out Chinese $200. food. Yeah, yeah, and it, and yeah, and that's that's the word. I will say this though: um, who's going to sell more, the Bordeaux or? Snoop Dogg's $12 Cali Red. Gotcha, gotcha. Who's, gonna, who's selling the millennials? You see, too, I'll try Snoop Dogg saying. Yeah, <laughs> to get into the, the Bordeaux world, I mean, the the good quality Bordeaux, you really do have to get, you you basically have to, to get the true experience of what it should be be like, you probably got to spend $25, 25 to 30 That's the entry point. That's and entry. it's just too high. Yeah. You know, his point is that that, that entry yeah. point is too high. Way too high. And and if that if when you do buy that bottle of entry point Bordeaux, man, if you don't get a recommendation or somebody helping you, it's going to taste like gack to you. Yeah, it could be really... You know, uh, and, I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm saying if you haven't had the experience and you don't have a knowledge and, you you know, your palate is, you're, you're learning your palate, that kind of thing... It, you know, the chances are you're like, wow, what is this all about? I'm going back to that. I Where's that Cali Red? It tastes yeah, better. Yeah, which is much more palatable, way yeah. more fruit forward. Yeah. Um, you know, a uh, little residual sugar probably, uh, you know, just just a little more forgiving on your palate than the Bordeaux would be. So, yeah. Anyway, that's uh, that's uh, I don't I don't expect that uh, the prices of Bordeaux are going to moderate a whole bunch. I haven't seen that myself. Uh, you know, this is just anecdotal evidence. But what I have seen, and I've seen this in a big way, is that there is a ton of good quality Pinot Noir coming on the market at fifteen to twenty dollars a bottle. I mean, just all across the board and. I know that um, 
I know that your wife likes Pinot, and I bet you have probably seen some pretty good deals. Um, this all relates to just, there's just too much wine. There's just too much wine out there. I was talking to, a, I can't mention any names, but I was talking to a, um, a guy yesterday that works in the cellar at a, a, a fairly um, high-end producer. And what they do is, I mean, they sell $200 bottles of Pinot Noir on their first label. And then on their uh, second label, their Pinot Noir is, uh, their second label Pinot Noir is in the 80, 70 to $80 range. And, uh, you know, we were just talking, you know, just as, as buddies, but he told me that that Pinot Noir, their second label Pinot Noir, they just sent out a thing to their mailing list. And this is how they sell their wine. It's all on mailing it's list. list. And then um, the, the remaining portion goes to restaurants. And he says that they're suffering because all these restaurants that they allocated to and would sell their wine to, they're closed. So they got all this surplus wine. So they sent out a, um, a thing to their mailing list, and they're selling those $80 bottles of Pinot Noir for 20 bucks, you know, to their, to their mailing list. That's it. They, they, they can't afford to sit on the wine. They got to, you know, move. it costs, they got to they gotta get rid of it. So there's a lot of that going on. I just bought um, I just bought a half a case of Pinot Noir, maybe like I want to say like three weeks ago, and I paid like fifteen dollars for it, and I was blown away at how good that Pinot was drinking. But it's just it's everywhere. So if you're out there, if you're a Pinot Noir drinker, if you're a red wine drinker in general, uh, the red wines typically wineries have to hold on to a little bit longer, and um, if the bank is saying, hey, you know, you need to make your payment, you know, a lot of these places, are, they're letting go of their wine. I just had last night, we had um, uh, a 2013 Ravenswood um, Bariccia uh, Zinfandel, and I've talked about this before, I think, in a pre previous podcast. That's like a $60 bottle of Zinfandel. I got it like a month and a half ago for 14 bucks. I mean... The wine deals are going to be outrageous if this COVID-19 keeps going. I mean, because it's just people cannot afford that whole market for restaurants and selling wine, which is a huge market, has essentially dried up. Yeah, and if, that's your, if you're a smaller producer, um, you're not going to attract a big distributor. They're not, they don't want your wine. They're not going to sell your stuff. You don't make enough of it. So you, your only way to sell wine now, once you lose that restaurant, is via, well, we're seeing this a lot. People are doing um, social media. They're doing the podcast. They're doing the Zooms to get people interested in their product yeah. and get people buying their product. That's your only avenue. You got those two avenues. And you have that, uh, or people come into your tasting room, and you got to do that outside. That's going to die in the wintertime. So, I mean, it's hard times if you're a winemaker. Which leads us to, uh, did you see the article about the Northwest Grape Growers? I sure did. And that was, you know, fascinating in terms of the, um, well, kind of what you started with the overproduction um, that's happening. Yeah, it's, I mean, the, the title of the article is uh, Two Flush Crush COVID and Overplanning Means Many Northwest Wine uh, Grapes Hanging Out. And what they mean by hanging out, and we've already seen this locally here um and we'll talk about this in a little bit but it's locally it's because of this ridiculous fire that we had at the at the worst time 
there's going to be a lot of vendors that are skipping the 2020 vintage and they're just not even going to make wine. And, uh, you know, that's going to help in some respects to actually bring back a balance from the over surplus. But uh, it's certainly not going to help you uh, pay your rent and pay for all your uh, leasing obligations that you have with your equipment. So this article is written by Anna King. Uh, she, she quotes some pretty big hitters in here. And the one that really uh, caught my mind was she was talking about um, St. She talked to St. Michelle's uh, VP Avengers. And um, he says that this year the company actually paid its Washington growers to drop fruit on the ground. I just had that highlighted. I was going to read that <laughs> so, quote. Yeah. And that's... the response they had was 100%. 100% of them responded to doing things that reduced the crop and enhanced the quality. So um, it's called green harvesting. And typically what um, the vintner, uh, the grape girl do is go out and uh they'll selectively cut x amount of grapes off the vines you know certain areas where you see that you know that bunch is going to do as well as the bunch there and um they just go out and they just like drop they they cut off healthy grapes and that that reduces the yield but it also um, allows the plant itself the root structure to just focus all its energy into just those remaining grape bunches that are there and it, as a result, theoretically, it's going to produce a better wine. You get a better wine. Um, the other, uh, the other interesting thing, the other interesting quote in this article was from Tom Dankowski, who's the president of the Oregon Wine Board. It said, "The, uh, you know, grow most growers are down fifteen to twenty percent, and then that was because of a cool June. So they had a cool June, and so they think that's actually going to affect the Pinot crop um, mm-hmm. uh, um, pretty significantly. So between." The vent, you know, between the um, the growers, you know, sort of, you know, dropping fruit, uh, as we just mentioned, and then the cool June, all these things will help to reduce the, you know, the overall size of the crop, and you know, maybe um, help vintners kind of, you know, weather the storm, so to speak, with the restaurant closures. But I would, I would argue that if you don't have a good you know, you're not large and you're not large enough where, you know, you could feed into a distributor, you know, the distributor says, Hey, you can give me X amount of cases and can, you know, yeah, I can, you know, I can, I can rep your wine and ship it. If mm-hmm. you're not able to do that, but you are a smaller a vintner and you have a good list and you've reduced your crops, you could probably make it. I would argue if you don't have that list, if you don't have a good, you know, direct to consumer business, you're going to be in a world of hurt. Um, in a big world of hurt. Maybe you'll weather this year, but next year, I don't know. Yeah, it just just brings up a point. You talked about this on the last podcast, Bill. Direct question for you. Have you been to regions yet? And if so, what was the experience like? Because I drove by, we drove through the Barlow yesterday and it looked like happy days are here again. There were so many people in that area. Yeah. It It was crazy. So did you make it there yet? Yeah, I have been to region and uh, give us a I, recap. Uh, I highly recommend if you're coming to this area to go there. Um, they have an insane amount of wines um, that you can try mm-hmm. on one. And the so first of all, the 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 way that they they uh, did the build out inside their inside their store is is really nice. It's a lot of open space. On one half of the store are all the wines that you can choose from. They have a whole section dedicated to like 
local. Mm -hmm. So you could try all these small producers that you probably wouldn't get an opportunity to try, and you can do it right there. And you can buy one ounce all the way to a full glass. So you can, you know, you can try a lot of different wine. And they still, you know, it's there's plenty of outside space in the Barlow. So, you know, they've done a good job kind of, you know, a couple of places sort of started taking over the parking lots on one side of their facilities. Crooked Goat's one of them. Gotcha. Um, yeah. You know, and, and region. And I went a, a week, two weeks ago. So I haven't been there, you know, this weekend. But not that I'm there every weekend. <laughs> I might want to be there <laughs> every mean, weekend. And not, there that yet, I'm, not that I'm there every weekend. Um, although we do eat a lot of pizza from the pizza place in there from Acre. So see how somebody's buying. We go to community market a lot to shop. So all of that aside, that the first half of their facility is all um, sort of tasting. And they have a, you know, I forget, 50 wines maybe. They have a lot of, a lot of wines to try. I may not have that number right. The other half of their facility is dedicated to pop-ups. So a winery, if they don't have a tasting room or if they want to bring, you know, they want to, you know, bring it, uh, bring their, their wines to a place where people are congregating, they have that side of the facility open too. So that's pretty cool. And, um, you know, unfortunately the COVID is what it is, but I, I, I like the concept and the, and, the um, it's pretty dramatic there when you walk into where the, um, where the wines are for you know for tasting by the poor or by how much by by how much quantity you consume it's pretty dramatic i mean it's pretty you know it's really high ceilings and it's laid out nice and they're kind of there to intercept you when you come in and you know say hey here's how it you know hey do you want to know how it works i'll explain it to you you can just look around um i took a bunch of pictures so uh, we can put them up but um yeah i i was impressed Awesome, awesome. Hey, what do, what are those? Where are those machines made? Are they are those Italian made machines, or they come from Germany? Do, do you know? You know, I don't know. And I I started to talk to the guy, um, who I think was the owner about it. But like three mm-hmm. people came in, and I, like, you know, I didn't want to talk business. You know, that's business to him. And yeah, got you. you. Know, got you. I didn't want to. You know, he was starting to talk to me, and I'm like, "Yeah, you could go take care of people. Are going to buy the wine right now." Um, you know, I we were uh, we were not tasting at that particular time, but I wanted to go in and check it out. So, yeah, I I recommend it. And there was stuff that we had just had a meal, and had I not, I would have just I would have dove in. There's plenty to. I mean, I love the fact that I can buy a really small pour, like a literal literal taste. Yeah, um, and you know taste the wine and i could have tasted three or four of the wines or they were like hmm, i like i know that producer i haven't had him and in a couple of places where i haven't had that vintage and a lot of just interesting stuff to try so did you get a chance to look at the pricing for some of the wine to see not, what the... it seemed reasonable okay. um, and i don't especially for the couple of wines that i knew i'm like well that's not bad i mean it wasn't it didn't seem to be egregious mm-hmm. you know where it was like are you kidding me I did talk to him about the, you know, that the wines were, you know, it's all, it's an Argonne system and, you know, he's like, well, it's all individual wines. So, you know, there isn't, you know, cross-contamination on stuff. And he said things were, they were, he said he was very satisfied with the preservation of the wine. Um, You know, we've had experience with that once something gets open and, you know, the Argonne, the Argonne does a good job for a while, but the wine's still going to degrade to some degree, no matter how you know, how 
you know, how careful you are, I think. That's um, true. You know, but, I, you know, my experience with Argon is that, you know, I've experienced that in a tasting room over a number of days, and it does a pretty good job. Um, you know, it's also really telling, too, because you can learn quickly how well the wine is made or not, you know, by how long it's sitting there and it keeps getting filled with Argon every day. You know, yeah, you could, that, you could it'd give you, know, you a, a glimpse into its longevity. Yeah, it's kind of fun. For sure. So, um, but I will tell you the aesthetic, the uh, the hospitality that I went in there, sort of the experience that I went in there, and then just the amount of variety that's there. I can, you know, um, I can understand why why the it's getting the the press it's getting is because it's it it's a, uh, I'll just you know for the Barlow really good idea. Excellent, excellent. Well, this that's is, my opinion too. We'll see if it works. I don't know, you know. Well, I'll I'll proffer an opinion, but not yet. Um, this is for one of our one of our listeners. As soon as I get out from under my bed, I'll uh, I'll get out there and try it out. But I'm I'm still uh, I'm, I'm still was, hang, we're still hanging out at the house. Yeah, I I uh, um, I, I I you know I walk into a place like that and I'm like, wow, that's just a you know you can go. You can go learn about. I mean, you can take a tour of Sonoma County from there in a half a day, and you know, try different, you know, try wines from all over the, you know, all over the region, you know, in a very in in different like different producers and different styles. I it's cool, and it's there's it's not like six wines. I mean, that's the thing that's interesting to me. And it's quite a it's it's a talk about a, a savior for some of these smaller producers. I mean, you might have a, a place. And, you know, they might just do like a couple hundred cases, which is, you know, it's like eight barrels. Yeah. <laughs> they might just do like eight barrels of wine. They're, they're not going to attract any, any distributor, you know, with that small of an output. So this is a perfect avenue. And they don't have to worry about the pop-up idea is fantastic. You can just pay a fee, go in there for one afternoon, you know, show their wares and then, you know, let people hit up their website, you know, that, that are interested in their wines. I think it's a great idea, um, especially given that, you know, like I said, I've said this over and over again a couple of times just with this podcast, the restaurant industry is in some deep doo-doo. So, I mean, we're, we're losing, um, we're losing, hey, I drove by, this is a local thing. I drove by, I think it was last Saturday, um, a week ago, I drove by Cano Bistro and it was closed. Yeah, yeah. On a Saturday night. Yeah, they're are they're, they? Yeah, they're going. The papers had a um, either the uh, the Sebastopol, the West County Times and News, or the PD, or it could have been on next door that they're really struggling. God, that and, is just. Uh, and, I mean, that's a fantastic restaurant just you know and they, they can't make it man yeah i without honestly, dining honestly super hit or miss for, for my experience in that restaurant yeah i've been yeah. lucky i've only been there like about four or five times handful of times but every yeah. time was a hit for me but i always had things that were simple i mean the burger that they make there <laughs> this is my go-to was their friggin their salad niçois and then having a burger. Yes, the, and mean, the burger was called the Royale with cheese. Yes, yeah. homage to Pulp Fiction. And it was a good burger. But you know what? There's a lot of really good burgers around now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
you know, at that quality and, 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 um, you know, sort of that at, at in some instances, a better quality and a lower price point. So, yeah, uh, yeah, true. I, it, 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 it's one of the, so right now in the restaurant business, if you're operating, you, you, people are not going to buy your food unless it, it's really good. And because they can make it at home and, and people are learning they can make it at home cheaper and they have time to make it at home. So, you know, restaurants have to really retool. And there are restaurants that are doing it. I, you know, the Starks, uh, Stark, Stark Steakhouse, we went to their, um, they did, they, you know, they got a probably freezers full of meat. Well, what did they do? They turned their parking lot into a pop-up restaurant and do a, a 50 buck prefix, all you can eat Brazilian steakhouse. Yeah. And I bet you it's full. We went and it, yeah. it was packed. It's a lot of people there. Same thing packed. with uh, the little Italian restaurant. Um, God, I can't think of the name of it now, but they put they put all their they just basically put their dining room in their parking lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like here yeah. we go. And but and you know, I mean, you can okay. carry it all out too. They'll pack. Okay, having having said that, that's great for California. Yeah, but that's not going to work in no. Michigan. In sure another couple is. months, it's sure. not going to work. Yeah, sure it is. So, it's called but, a tent with a heater. <laughs> so here we no, are. It's so um, it's true. This yeah. next article is. Um, um, about uh, the title is, is the government just going to watch the restaurant industry die? And uh, there are so many nuggets of amazingness in this, yeah. in this article. But, you know, I, I read the Chronicle. Um, the Chronicle, San Francisco Chronicle has a running tally of all the places that have bit the dust. The restaurants that have closed, restaurants that have closed and are not going to open up again. And, um, this mentions a few of uh, the ones just around around the world. But the problem that the whole gist of this article is um, the people that it, it quotes, they're saying, hey, the people, what's the best way to put this? You're asking people to go and work in restaurants, but you're also asking them to put their lives in danger because we haven't figured out what's going on with the COVID. So the, the idea that I guess what the what the art, the author of this article is saying is that the government should step in and support these people until they figure out how to deal with the COVID. You know, these people shouldn't have to, you know, put their lives at risk is basically what it's saying. Um, there's just all kinds of stuff in here. So I guess Republic, Republican Earl Blumenauer of Oregon, he's trying to um, he's trying to get some legislation put through that will be tailored for small businesses, and uh, it would make 120 billion dollars accessible to restaurants in the form of grants, uh, which is a very important word because if it's a grant, it's not a loan, and that means that you don't have to pay it back. One of the problems with the PPP loans was that if you got the loan. You had to hire back. One of the conditions was you had to hire back all the people that that you laid off. Every and everybody you laid off, yeah. everyone. But that makes that makes no sense when you think about it, though. Because why are you hiring all these people back? You don't have the business. You got this restaurant. You're gonna you got to hire your full staff back. What are they gonna be doing? Just standing around looking at each other? 
because you don't have the bit you don't have the business oh what's even what's even worse what they're doing is they they can bring people back but because business is down and they have to bring everybody back what i and so i mean this is anecdotal i have a a, a nephew that works in the in the restaurant business in los angeles and they brought him back and they cut his pay they had to cut everybody's pay like two bucks an hour so they could bring everybody back okay <laughs> and make it work well you know two bucks an hour to a lot of people at their where they're at in their in their life you know that you know they were barely making it before and now it's like ouch like i and i and i have to go to work because if i don't go to work and I leave my job. I don't get any. I don't get any. Uh, um, you don't get unemployment. Unemployment compensation. Yeah. So it's, it's like, like, yeah, he, yeah. I mean, he's. You're I mean, on a nice edge. Well, he just rang. I mean, in this particular instance, it rang his bell. He's like, "What the heck?" He goes, "I have to go to work, and I'm not making enough money to live." He goes, "It's insane." Um, yeah, and you you sprinkle in um, the healthcare situation on top of that. I mean, what if a person does get sick? Can't get sick. Can't get sick. Yeah, and then you're then you're just you're really up the creek. Well, what do you do? You get you wait till you get bad enough that you have to go to the emergency room, and then and then there you are. That's that's how it works. It's just the whole like that whole system is just not. So if you, this is a this is a pretty long article. Yeah. But in the end. Um, they talked to um, an owner of a restaurant in Emeryville. I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Mini Bells. Mini Bells, yeah. Okay. And this is what Mini Bells says. It says, um, many, many of us definitely are at jeopardy of closing if there's no bailout. McPherson recently told me via email. It's uh, Fernay McPherson. She's the chef owner. A lot of restaurants are accumulating debt via loans or depleting whatever funds they have left. The hole is going to be too big to get out of which will result in many more restaurant doors closing. So, I mean, I don't, I mean, I've already related the story when I was in San Francisco a few months ago of, you know, being downtown at noontime, you know, had having to look hard to find people. <laughs> so this is, this is where we're at, man. That's Restaurants good. are like a, a pretty important vital fabric of the economy. And at some point, you know, our our uh, government has to figure out, you know, I mean, that's their job. Their job is not just to collect revenue and taxes from people and businesses. Their job is to protect those people from harm. I mean, that's, you know, not to get all political, but I believe that's in the Constitution. <laughs> I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. And uh, they're doing a horrible job. And they, they need to get they need to get it together. Yeah. No, I, your thoughts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I and it, and it isn't it isn't that they need a bailout. Like that's one answer to the problem. The other answer is get your act together and figure out how to deal with this virus. Yes. Like, you know, one of the so there was an article in the Press Demo, which is a Press Democrat's local paper here about um our our governor just released rules on how to open. Um and the business community is is saying, hey, you know, you guys need to be very clear. It's not, it's still not clear, like when we're going to be able to open, and yep. it's up to a couple of people. So, um, and I understand everybody's dealing with limited and somewhat changing information, but still, given the amount of time that's been out there, 
the amount of resource that's been thrown into this, you would figure the response from just like, hey, you can open your restaurant and here's, you know, here's how to do it. Like that should, um, that's how you help a business. Yeah. You know, that's how you keep people back employed. It's like, yeah, you can open your restaurant, but you only have 25% capacity. You have outdoor dining too. Here's how to sanitize everything. Um, and, you know, and, and we're going to provide funds to help, you know, defray costs of things or grants to defray costs of things like PPE or sanitation or whatever needs to happen. It seems that that's possible to me. Yeah, it just, uh, it just seems like, uh, you know, who's, who's guiding the ship, man? It just seems everything is helter-skelter. <laughs> I just, you know, my answer is none of the leadership is doing a good job. An election's coming up. They all need to go away. The elites are not, the elites that we elect are not doing us any good. They're not doing us any good. Time to move on, huh, Bill? Yeah, yeah. and I don't care what party you are in. You know, well, we'll just say this. It was interesting to me to see the number of Republicans that are now supporting the Democrats, which just leads me to believe that there's no difference in political party. It just matters where you're getting your money from, at least at the, at least at the national level. But you know what? You guys can all change. Let's just change them. That's that's how I think about it right now. Yeah, it, I'm just like nobody's certain, doing. Nobody's stepped up and done a good job. No one. There's yeah, and it's a, you know, it's, it's. I said with this COVID, it's a lose lose for anyone that's in government. You can't win, man. You can't win until there's a remedy. You yeah. know, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're, you can't win. There's no way you can win because all this stuff, you know, all your revenues closing down. There's just, it can't be done. But you're certainly not going to win by saying, okay, you can open up your restaurant and you can have, you know, 50% of the people come in. But then once you get a breakout, you can't say, oh, no, you got to Oh, no, no, wait. No, no, wait. No, no, we're, no, that that was last week. (laughs) This week, this week we're going to do this. I mean, that's what the, and and that's what's happening to people. It's like, go, start, go, you know, um. I, I, and and then you know I I took a trip recently um, to Oregon and went to the Oregon coast and it's like there's no COVID. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, I was accused from being from California because I had a mask on. Yeah. You know. Them, them Californians. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it must be from California to mask on. I mean, it was a beach. It was no. It was like there was no COVID going on. It was wow. crazy. And I, you know, I'm trying to be a good citizen. I got my mask on. Kind of makes sense. But you're trained. You're trained now. Well, it kind of makes sense to me. To some (laughs) level. Like if I sneeze, it's not going to sneeze on anybody. I'm not going to breathe any. Like, I don't know. Does COVID go through my mask? No one still knows. You know, I read an article the other day. If you wear a mask for longer than like four hours, you can become hypoxic. It's like bad for you. It's like. Well, how does that, I just don't, how does that square with people that work in a hospital environment and they wear a mask all day and they're working 12 hour shifts? I mean, I don't, I don't understand. So not to, not to be argumentative. I can tell you in the local hospital, they, when they have patient contact, they're fully, they have, uh, you know, basically fully geared up, yeah. you know, gown, gloves, um, mask and face shield. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, you know, I uh, throughout my uh, my days at work, sometimes I'm uh, required to go into uh, some hospitals, so I've seen all the garb. Yeah, yeah, 
you know, so they're, hey, um, you know, they're dealing with it like it's a, you know, like you would a contagious virus. I mean, they have overpressured rooms and, um, and they're still having breakouts. Yeah. You know, every yeah. now and then, you know, it's not a, like, <laughs> I mean, you got to test somebody like every day. Yeah, you know, you know if, I got infected you, uh, two I just weeks ago. To, uh, yeah, I talked to a friend the other day, and he got tested, and he hasn't gotten his results yet. And he got tested like about eight days ago. I said, "Well, when are you gonna?" He said, "They, they said it's gonna take maybe a couple weeks." Yeah, two weeks. I mean, how does that? What? I mean, okay, so I was. You know, Wait a minute, I was. In, well, now you're gonna. Then they're gonna. If you're infected, they're gonna have you come back, and test <laughs> again, and then what? Two weeks later, you won't. I mean, it's just like that. Like. That's a great example of the government not stepping in and setting the rules, which yeah. they should. You know, like who needs to be tested? People that are in contact with people, hospital workers, firefighters, EMS, police, you know, yeah. restaurant workers. I mean, people that I mean, we do need people growing food, picking food, distributing food like, you know, we don't eat if that doesn't happen. Um and it's just like there's no – it's almost like, you know, it's like it should be wartime. There's an enemy. This is how we deal with it. Anyway, I just – That's a good point you bring up, yeah. Well, did you see the um, the Foster Farms plant that was just uh, recently just closed down? I, I, I did. It had some incredible amount of people that tested positive, like 300, 350 people that worked in this plant. And what was like, are you serious? But that's that's where we're at, man. Yeah. I read I I read an article to oh, it was probably a week ago that China had received it was chicken and beef or pork and there was covid on it from Brazil. What? Yeah. So they had ported chicken and ribs and there was covid on the, according to the Chinese there was covid on the in the in the in the meat. How interesting. And it weren't clear and said it was on the packaging and stuff because I have seen some stuff that it's, you know, it can get on a surface and be there a while. Um, but again, that's just a great example of like, why is that, if that's not true, why, where is the government saying, no, that's not true. This is what we know right right now. Um, yeah. The and not a, not a two hour or three hour commercial by, you know, the the president. Right. Where he's just like, you know, it's just like, he sounds like Chavez from, you know, Venezuela, where he gets on TV for 12 hours talking about, you know, whatever he wants to talk about. Yeah, the the mixed messages um, that are sw swelling around this whole COVID thing to me are, are amazing. You know, you're you're drawing the, the, the difference between being in California and being in Oregon. Yeah. Now, granted, the terrain is different. You know, the population is different. I mean, to me, to my mind's eye, obviously, when you get into denser populations, there have to be stricter protocols for how to deal with it because you've got more people. I mean, the disease is born from people getting together. So, but it's, it is, I do find it enlightening that the administration uh, has, I guess, just this just a couple of days ago, right? The TV show where they've got all these people on the on the the lawn of the White House sitting next to each other with no social distancing. 
I mean, what message does that bring to the citizens of the U.S.? I mean, the contrast between what you see, you know, here in California, certain parts of California versus that, it's like a, it's a the divide as large as the Grand Canyon. I mean, why is that? Why is the message so mixed? I, I hate Germany had a massive protest yesterday that they had to shut down for people who believe it's a hoax. And there are, I will tell you, there are plenty of people who believe it's a hoax. Yeah. You know, that in, and if you live in certain communities, they are not, you know, if you live in a community that's old, that tends to be older, like, you know, has a lot of older people, they're, you know, if you're, it certainly seems the data says if you're over 60, no matter of, no matter what, you're, you you could you're likely gonna you know get not only one will you get it but you could get symptoms and get really sick. Yeah. Like I heard some crazy numbers out of Italy, uh, like almost everybody who died was over sixty. You know, and uh, and and that number was even higher in terms of the age. So, um, and then you know Europe's like, what are we inside for? Yeah, well, we're I, I'll 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 try to send I'll send this um, Foster Farms article to you. Um, it's it's really alarming. Eighteen thousand. <laughs> I mean, it just is. I mean, the 000. outbreak at the Livingston facility oh. accounts for eighteen percent of the COVID nineteen deaths in the county. That's crazy. Uh, of people under age sixty five. I know you could look at that and say maybe it's a hoax, but if if seven percent of the total deaths are just coming out of like one facility. That's... Well, that number's so, you know, a lot of people get this. I mean, this is a, I mean, this is a, a, a family of viruses that we often call a common cold. Um, and if you start to read about it, one of the things that, that I'm, I've been interested in, are why, why is the medical community so, you know, why are they saying what they're saying? You know, because it's like, you know, we've had SARS, this is SARS-2 COVID-19. So this is a variant of the SARS virus that we've had before, but why why is it so much different than the first one? And it is it does seem to be because of its ability to mutate and attack systems in the body other than the respiratory system. Um, so that's why you're hearing like people get um, you know they lose their sense of smell or you know it affects other taste you know just other parts of the body. Yep. Um, and I, and that and that is kind of you know I I don't want to lose my sense of smell or taste. God, like man. I I that would really be like I'd rather you know if I have to lose a sense, those are the two that are probably on the bottom of the list for me. Yeah. In terms of my senses, um, and so that you know just thinking about that, and then as you know I'm 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 closer to sixty than I am to twenty. Or thirty, yeah. so you know it. It's uh, it's on you your know, mind. Why would I not? Why would I not do something like wear a mask? You know, as simple as, you know, hey, this thing could significantly impact the spread of the disease. Re- is it that big an con- inconvenience for me to? Yeah, I forget the damn thing in my house and I have to come back and get it every now and then. Yeah. But really, is that big a deal to go out and put a mask on? I just, I just, just, and like, 
you know, sit social distance from people. I just like it's just not that big a thing. And if it makes that massive impact, why are we even? Why is why is there even controversy about it? Like I don't. Yeah. Why is it such a? Like I don't even get it. I don't either. It's it's hard the logic behind it. Well, you know what's interesting is here's another thing. That's a personal thing. So my wife got me one of those gators. Yeah, and it's I really had, good. Yeah, because I, the gator is great because yeah, I it's got around it on. your neck. You can't forget it at home. Yeah, that's you drive right. off, it's on your neck already. Right. It's good. You just pull it up, right? Yeah. But then just recently, like a week and a half ago, they came out with the this uh, new um, uh, new study saying that the gator is probably the worst thing you could wear because it breaks up the droplets into smaller droplets when you I'm like what the heck man is that and is that true is that and I that's, don't know well so here's the other thing so you start like dive it's great the internet you dive in well that's like one study yeah or maybe two studies which we all know is not enough yeah. <laughs> and so you know what I'm I'm like if that if that is I have a mask now yeah no problem okay you're good Nope. Hey, let's uh, let's talk but about yeah, the neck gator. The exactly. I did not forget the neck gator. <laughs> I didn't leave it on the table. Exactly. I didn't, you know, I didn't put it down and pick something up and forget it, which I will do. You know, um, the, the only minus with the with the gator, and I haven't been wearing it recently because um, here in California, I mean, we got a little reprieve here over the past two or three days, but before that, it was close to a hundred degrees every day oh, God. in wine yeah. country. Yeah, it and was hot. It was not only was hot; it was smoky. It was hot and smoky, man. Which brings us to the elephant in the room. Yes, smoky skies are causing all kinds of trouble for people that grow things outside: yeah. marijuana, grapes, yeah. lettuce, strawberries, whatever. Yeah. If you're growing something, this big, huge fire—these fires that we had. But here's what happened. So, I want to say what this is uh, maybe. A couple weeks ago, there was a uh, uh, a storm that came to uh, Northern California, and this storm was like a you know when you're back east, you get the thunder, the and then you know a little bit later you get the lightning, and then after that you get this deluge of rain, and then it just moves on. Well, here where we live in Sebastopol, we had a lightning and thunderstorm with very little rain um that part it, did over rain, our, it parked over our community for about six or seven hours yeah, was and as a result of that cool. guess what happened started some fires yeah. here and there so uh, ever since then they've been trying to control these fires as a result we're super super smoky you can see the smoke in kansas if you go and look at a satellite image it's truly frightening um but uh, what's happened is it's caused a big panic because the fire that we had a few years ago in 2017, even though it was a terrible fire and uh, lots of people lost their property and it was super smoky, actually probably smokier than this event, it happened at the end of harvest. This fire has happened right at the start of harvest. And I would say Harvest had just started for a couple places. It was just the places that make um, make uh, the bubbly, uh, make sparkling wines. And usually sparkling wine grapes are harvested um, much um, less ripe than uh, grapes for still wines. So um, a lot of the sparkling wine facilities had already uh, 
been going for maybe two or three weeks. But um, to my mind's eye, I don't think there were hardly even any still wine grapes actually. Nobody's, yeah. It's um, all, it's they weren't even uh, brought in yet. And I was in Napa Valley. I saw um, the plume that started. It was a Monday. And I actually saw the plume that started over there by Lake Hennessy. And uh, I was talking to the winemaker at the place where I was, and he said they were planning on bringing in their Sauvignon Blanc later in that week, Thursday or Friday. So this this fire and this smoke has actually happened at possibly the I mean really the worst time. Now I'm not saying it's going to be some type of apocalypse or anything, and we're definitely going to be making wine here in California. There's going to be lots of wine out there, but um, to the degree which these wines will be free of smoke taint, that's still up in the air. Nobody knows, and um, there's probably going to be a lot of wine. Um, that for early consumption it's made. I, I predict that we're going to have a, a large, robust amount of rosé that hits the market as a result of the smoke. And the wines that do hit the market, a lot, of, especially a lot of the reds, because what happens with reds, the the, the smoke taint actually is um, it's it's in the skins, and sometimes it gravitates towards the insides of the grapes. But most of the smoke and the ash, it's going to be on the skins of the grapes. And the way that you make Red wine, by its whole nature, is that the wines, uh, the, the juice and the skin stay together for an extended period of time, so that the um, wine can get its color from the skins. So if you do that, you're probably going to be picking up some unsavory flavors. Now, there's a whole bunch of ways to get rid of these flavors, but the main way to get rid of it is we got a place uh, just around the corner in Graydon. You send your wine over there, and they run it through a reverse osmosis. Ro, ro. <laughs> yes, and the RO indeed. strips out the smoke tank, yeah, it but it strip. also strips out yeah. some of the other flavors and and and, and the, the good flavors that you're looking for in the wine, and some of the characters are also stripped out. Yeah. So, you know, just if generally speaking, I will say, and, and this is how I felt about the 2017 higher end wines, you know, I would be reluctant to buy 2017 Cabernet. Uh, Zinfandel, those wines, unless I've actually tried them beforehand, you know, because I mean, sometimes there's a producer and I know the wine, I'll just buy six bottles because I've had their wine before and I'll buy it without tasting. But in this case, especially if you're going to be spending, you know, upwards of 7500 or more for a bottle of Cabernet, I'd be pretty careful about uh, purchasing yeah. those bottles without trying them beforehand. Uh, and there will be thoughts on all the fire smoke. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, I know a lot of people, they're talking about people that are leaving California. I'm like, go ahead and leave, man. I'm not going anywhere. It'll just be more, let more space for me. But, uh, (laughs) the fires are getting to be an annual event. Yeah. It's, uh, it's getting old. Yeah. It's getting old. Um, and I, you know the uh you know there is a lot there are a lot of people now who um i think our approach to forest our our approach to forest management will change um or be more aggressive about keeping keeping the forest maintained to the point that that 
things that have caused a lot of fuel buildup will probably take will take more action on that. And as uh, and I, and we have a friend who's a forester who I've asked about this m- many times. He said, "Yes, all those ancient practices about keeping the forest clean and keeping the fuel load reduced are true." He goes, "But now we know how to do it." And we know that that's true from a science perspective, and we can do it without damaging a lot of the infrastructure of the ecosystem of the forest. So, um, because when you have situations like this, not only is it bad for, you know, things like, you know, wine grapes now, but the forest itself, what did I read in the press demo today? A 60 plus percent of the watershed of the Russian River the habitat for salmon and steelhead has been damaged. Um, and so you had to, you had to, you know, they came in with bulldozers and just bulldoze fire lines, knock down trees. All of that yeah. stuff is on the edge of the banks of these streams. So there's no ground cover now um, or it's been burned. So now you have ash and debris and fire smoke, you know, tainted water rolling into those streams. Not only that, Sonoma County's largest water supply, Lake Sonoma, the fire burned right to the edge of the west side of that of the Warm Springs um, arc of the reservoir. The water agency's concerned about they're they're like we made a new build new treatment processes to treat the water because we're concerned about the smoke and ash and uh, you know mm-hmm. you know the stuff that and people don't remember you know this thing burns through a house a rural house that rural house has all kinds of hazardous waste stuff out there and people don't think about this stuff but any household chemical you know you got ammonia or bleach somewhere that goes up in a fire that's causing you know chlorine smoke you know that's you know yeah paint (laughs) gas natural gas all kinds um, of stuff man you know fuel uh, you know oil uh gasoline diesel um all these things exist out there and it's not mass quantities but you know it can find its it it's a it not only is it a it's an environmental disaster from the fire itself but also sort of what's left after and you know the our our the uh, the soil out here tends to be you know it's got some clay in it so stuff just you know it just sluices off and you know wherever the water it just goes wherever the water goes which is yep. you know clogs the streams clogs everything up um and it's just it's a it's bad all around so you know then this is the third year of of uh you know these fires and if you look to the fires to the east of us where uh, lake berryessa is man that i drove through there a couple of three by uh, six weeks ago we were we went to lake berryessa for a saturday before the fire came and i know where it's all burning because i'm driven through all in there and there's nothing there but grapes and forest and i'm yep. sure it's just it's just fuel it's just burning um i forget it was a million acres million plus acres i can't remember the acreage it was some massive amount of acreage and then we saw the same kind of devastation in vacaville which is to the east and this uh to the east of here to the west where it just you know just ripped through got to a community jump 101 jumped highway 80 what is that a yep. six lane it's either a six or a 12 it's a 12 lane road. <laughs> I was going to say six lane in each direction. Yeah. And it jumped that thing and just burned a community up. Like an hour. Hours. Yeah. Pretty, so yeah. it's getting really, yeah. And then, you know, power goes out. And 
The only thing about this fire, one, the one saving grace for this fire and I'll, that I'll recall, and I don't ever remember this, not only was it hot as Hades, you know, at least for us, you know, we're so close to the ocean, but there was no wind. I mean, there was for probably for a straight seven days, there wasn't even a whisper of wind, which was a godsend for the firemen because at least the fire wasn't being blown on by some, you know, like the Tubbs fire with the 50 mile an hour wind. I mean, yeah, that Tubbs fire yeah. burned everything down in a matter of like about four hours because yeah. the wind was so strong. It's 50 mile an hour winds, yeah. Yeah. Well, last Sunday, we were supposed to get a storm again that had similar winds and it didn't occur and had that actually happen um uh, we probably wouldn't be doing this podcast because we probably wouldn't have evacuated i mean if it had burned as fast as it did in the kincaid fire i think is the i might have that wrong but the fires in 17 where it blew over from calistoga that was tubs and it was a thank you it's tubs fire that was just I mean, it literally was like somebody was taking a flamethrower to, um, you know, from Calistoga all the way over into Santa Rosa. Well, I mean, everybody probably remembers the pictures of, of Coffee Park, where again it jumped a what a as, um, an eight lane or six lane highway and burned down an entire neighborhood in a matter of hours. Um, you know, These, we were lucky. Yeah, we were we were definitely lucky that it wasn't windy. But to, to give people an idea of the scope of the number of fires, I think it was the number of fires burning in California was like 600 plus fires or something. But th- there were so many fires burning in so many places that they would just call the fire the LCN. You know, the, they were calling complex fires because they yeah. couldn't put a name on one fire because there were so many of them. Yeah. And, and, and that last Sunday was 94, 96% of all of Cal Fire's fighting, firefighting equipment was in use yeah yeah and that's a lot of that's a lot of equipment i tell you man i never felt so glad to hear those uh dc-10s flying over yeah. you know it's just oh it's yeah. <laughs> like all right yeah. those guys are talk about heroes man yeah well there's a great there's a great article about uh so there's a um a 1500 year old tree um in in a state park here called armstrong woods um which has old growth forest and it's on a hike that my family and i like to go you kind of end by this place and the tree has a name it's called the colonel so they actually put a crew there and saved the tree um and yeah and saved a lot of the but saved a lot of the buildings in that park and that park's a great park because it it's still you know you got old growth redwoods in there so it's very much when you from the start of when you go into the park, it's very much like being in that coastal redwoods um, rainforest. The habitats there, all the plants there. So it's, it was great that they saved that. The other thing, and it was great because I, I had stumbled onto this, but there's a communications tower um, on, a, on a mountain called a mountain. It's not that tall. It's, I think it might be 1,200 feet. If, and I might be wrong there. It's not super big, called Mount Jackson which mm-hmm. basically has a commanding view of everything to the north. It, it's super high point. In fact, you can when you drive into Sebastopol, you see this big terrain feature off to the northwest. That's Mount Jackson. It looks like a big hill. But, uh, yeah, they, they positioned a, a crew. They dumped fire retardant and uh, managed to save it. 
And I think yeah, it's called uh, firealert.org where you can see there's cameras. So you can go up and see the cameras. You can watch them. But I was watching them that um, on the night that the fire came <laughs> and watching them, um, you know, light backfires and you could see the fire coming. And But they lost another communications tower over to the east in a place called Mount Vaca near Vacaville. And that had they lost the other Mount Jackson, it would have effectively completely crippled the firefighting. Um, gotcha. effort because there would have been no comms and so it was kind of it that was exciting to watch at the same time glad it didn't you know we dodged a bullet in this fire i think so far you did it's a it's a you know to your point it really is a environmental nightmare um you know i was just listening to you talk about um them dropping the retardant yeah. i mean I, that's this, stuff that stuff, stuff that they're putting down, that retardant, I, it can, cannot be good. It's clay and it like... It can't be good for, yeah. for the environment. And <laughs> there you go. Bill's I got, got a mask. mask. <laughs> that's um, a good mask, too. You got connections, though. So. Oh, yeah. But that retardant can't be that great. Um, I mean, there's a reason why they're not allowed to, to dump it, you know, near water sources. Um, you know, they have pretty strict... Uh, pretty strict codes on how it's used and, and where it's actually um, used for firefighting. For sure. Um, we don't have time, Bill, because I want to talk about a couple of uh, things that I've been drinking lately. Yeah. But next time we should pick up uh, uh, the crop insurance because there's going to be a lot of oh, stuff going on. Yeah. If you've got people that aren't processing the grapes because uh, they've discovered through the lab that the grapes are um, they're not fit to be uh, processed. Yeah. Um, you know, we're still trying to figure this out from a couple of years ago. Oh. With some, these people are still fighting the insurance companies. So the insurance companies are—they're uh, going to be busy denying claims for farmers and vendors. Pretty much. Not funny, but uh, yeah. that's uh, well, that real yeah. thing that's going to happen. Yeah, so, I was on the blower to my insurance company last couple of weeks. Yeah. You know. Yeah. All hey, you it. need to tell me what you're going to pay me if my house burns down per square foot to rebuild. Yeah. And if it oh, isn't a certain, I, yeah, yeah. I I did not do that, but, oh, God, just the thought of it just, uh, just scares me. There, the first conversation was, well, wildfire, I'm not sure if you're covered. Oh, jeez. I'm, like, about to lose my marbles. I'm, like, are you kidding me? Anyway, got all that cleared up. Um so, if you live in a fire, you might want to call your insurance company and make sure that it's that. Well, the big thing now is, uh, you know, we, we brought this up before, Bill. We've got the we've got the plague. Now we've had the fires. We've got the murder hornets, um, locusts. Yeah, that's uh, right. We got the we got the floods uh, and the hurricanes happening in the southeast. Um, gosh, what, what more could we get, man? Earthquake. That's what you say. Earthquake. There we go. But anyway, I've been drinking, um, as a result of all the smoke and everything, I haven't really been drinking that much wine. But you know how you drink something and it's really, really good and you really like it? It's like, oh, man. It's, and then you just kind of like, I mean, you get I don't know if you get tired of it or you find some uh, new love or whatever. I don't know. But I got reacquainted with something that I haven't really drank in a long time. And I know you'll appreciate it, although you probably hadn't had it in a long time either. The Racer 5 IPA. And it's something about having an IPA with all the smoke in the air. Yeah. I don't know what it is. That's There's something true. about it. That's true. But uh, Racer 5 is, um, it's uh, Bear Republic makes it. 
and it's brewed out of, um, I think the brewery's in Cloverdale, but it's the classic old, you know, I, American IPA. It's a California IPA is what I call it, you know, because it, it's done here in California. That's right. But uh, man, we've had this IPA every Sunday now <laughs> for the past three weeks. I'm getting ready to go get some more. Uh, it's just got that classic, um, when you pour it in the glass, it's got that classic amber color. Uh, it pours a really nice thick head. I like to pour mine in a well-chilled glass. And uh, and then it changes over time. You know, I pour it in a big, tall pilsner and it, as it changes over time. But it's full-bodied. It's creamy. It's got that classic citrus and hoppy bitterness uh, and that sourness. And it, it's just it's just serious old-school Cali IPA, man. I really, really enjoy it. And it's a great. I love how they package it in the bigger bottles in the market when you can in the bigger um, right. uh, 750s. And uh, you know, we, my wife and I, we could just split one of those and just we're, we're happy. It's a great aperitif, man, for uh, for having your meal. So that's one of the things I've been drinking. Um, when's the last time you had a Racer Five, Bill? Because I know that's kind of not your style on the uh, beer. It's been a while since I've had a Racer Five. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I felt like supporting them because I know the Beer Republic had to close their pub um, in. Um, they they closed up their restaurant in uh, Hillsburg, and you know I said, ah, you know, I mean, let's let's keep this because I mean, you know, good beers are hard to come by, man. This is a, a, a really high quality beer. I think it's got an incredibly good distribution, not just here in California, but probably you uh, can probably that's true. You can probably find that beer, uh, well east of here. Yeah, they're just that's it's just a it's a it's a, a good quality beer and it's at a great price. Here's uh, here's my my uh, strange strangeness for the day. Can you see this bottle? Yep. Yep. Are you, are you familiar with this? I is that a Riesling? Ah, uh, it is and it isn't. <laughs> Fair enough. And you figured it out. You said Riesling because probably because the shape of the bottle. Uh, and the color of the bottle. I recognize the logo. Yeah, yeah. The logo so, looks familiar, but it, yeah. This is uh, actually, um, it's not a Riesling. Riesling. It's called Kerner. And uh, Kerner is, uh, is a grape that was uh, engineered. Kerner is a, it's a, a blend, or not a blend, it's a cross between Trollinger and Riesling. So you're half right. Trollinger is a red grape, huh. and uh, Trollinger hails from initially a lot of Trollingers grown in uh, Württemberg, which is in the southwest corner of Germany. Um, but it makes a red grape uh, that it makes a, a red wine that's uh, it's not a serious wine. It's just for like drinking on the lake and, you know, chill it down, you know, um, uh, light fruit, strawberry flavors. I mean, you could almost in some some instances you might mistake it for a rosé. But it's grown, Trollinger is grown a lot in uh, northern Italy, where it's called Schiava. Mm. And that's uh, S-C-H-I-A-V-A. And it's also called Vernach. So just to confuse you, that the grape, one, one part of this hybrid, has <laughs> got three different names. But it's blended with Riesling. The reason that um, uh, Kerner was developed was it, was, it was developed back, I believe, in like the 1920s. And they were looking for a grape that could handle all of the frost that was going on. And this is way before global warming. 
so um, Kerner is actually it takes his name from a, a German poet named Julius Kerner. So I know this is a lot of uh, dribble, but kind of helps you just kind of know what's going on. Um, so it was developed in 1929. It's a cross between Riesling and um, Trollinger. And this kernel went into a lot of uh, leafer milch. If you guys remember uh, Blue Nun leafer yes. milch, this was the main grape. And at one time, actually, Kerner was probably the second or third most planted grape in Germany. But it's kind of lost its appeal. Uh, part of the reason is uh, global warming. They don't really need a grape uh, that can um, handle all the, um, the frost because it's becoming less and less prevalent uh, these days. But it's pretty popular in northern Italy. And uh, the winery that makes this is Abbasia di Novicella. And it's, uh, it's an abbey. And there's not really monks in there. They're really more devoted to kind of growing grapes. And they also have a school there. And uh, I love uh, the wines. They make a bunch of wines at this winery. They make uh, Sylvaner, Riesling. Um, they make a really nice uh, Schiava red. Um, but uh, Kerner's, this is pretty well known. It's about 18 bucks a bottle. Um, it's, it's sneaky good <laughs> because when you, when you, when you first uh, pour it in the glass, you go, oh, yeah, that's okay. And you can't really recognize what it is, but this is an older bottling. This is a 2016. So I've had this for a while. One thing about Kerner is it ages really well. Huh. So it had a nice golden color to it. Um, and as it ages, it uh, you get more of the tropical fruits that come out, which I like. Um, you get the papaya, and it has this weird kind of like almost not weird, but it has a, a like a baking spice, like a cinnamon, a nutty cinnamon type thing going on. Um, full body, and uh, it's just a, it's just a kick, and it's something good to introduce your friends to, because there's a good chance they haven't had a kerner. <laughs> so you have some people yeah. come over after the COVID, of course. Social distancing, of course. Pour him a glass of Kerner, and uh, life will be good. Um, the other bottle that I've had recently, and it's going fast, is this bottle. And I talk about this all the time. This is the Chateau Saint-Combe. This is their baseball in Cote d'Aronne. Hmm. It's a 2018. If you can find it, buy some. It's about 11, 12 bucks a bottle. I've already spoke about it before on the podcast, so I'm not going to go into it. But uh, that is a great bottling. And the last bottle that I've had that's really been good is made by uh, Luciano uh, Saietti. And it's, uh, I don't have the bottle with me, but you've had it before, Bill. It's a Lambrusco. Okay. And I think we did a podcast we'll where this was one of the top wines. This was a about years it. Yeah. But um, he makes, um, he does, uh, he doesn't have a whole bunch of uh, grapes, but this guy's been, um, making wine and selling grapes since the 60s. But what's cool about it is he doesn't use any sulfur in any of the processes to make the wine. Everything's hand harvested, um, it's destemmed, and he actually crushes the grapes in the field into small uh, 100 liter steel containers. And then he takes it back to the winery and does the fermentation. Most Lambrusco that you see is um, fermented um, and it's done in a tank fermentation and then they add carbon dioxide to make it have the bubbles. He makes his Lambrusco like you would make um, champagne, huh. champagne that's moi. So he, he ferments it as a still wine, then he adds some grape juice back to it to make it go through a secondary fermentation. He does all the riddling, 
and then he just gorges them and he does all this by hand. So there's not a whole bunch of this wine around, but it's really good. And the grape variety that he uses to make it, it's called, um, it's called uh, Lambrusco um, Salamino. And uh, it's, a, it's a pretty nice wine. I found this at Bottle Barn because they have a section now in Bottle Barn. It's called, um, it's called the hipsters, hipsters section. <laughs> so really? when you look, yeah, it's for hipsters. Really? And they got a little thing in there. It, and it's got, it's just got all these oddball wines that are there. And this is one. And I immediately picked it up because I recognized it. Yeah. And um, it, it was a win. I will say um, one thing. And you want to, you want to give this wine a slight chill. And the wine that I had was, uh, it was the 2017, I believe is the vintage I had. You do want to give it a slight chill, um, as you would with, with most Lambruscos, and it changes a lot in the glass. Um, the one thing that's a little, that I have noticed with these wines, because I've had several bottlings, is he doesn't use sulfur, so there's a little bit of a variance in the quality. And, and you know, one bottle can be different from the other bottle, because it's, it's not an industrially made wine. So just keep that in mind. But definitely worth uh you know, popping 18 bucks and giving it a try. What have you been drinking, Bill? Um, well, like most of us in, with COVID, my consumption of fermented and, um, well, alcohol in general has just increased. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll start in the north. So I have been to a new brewery in Cloverdale called Wolfpack Brewery. It is run by the son of beer royalty. So I believe... Um, he he has lineage to New Albion and a Hopland Brewing. In fact, I had an underground taste of Eye of the Hawk. Um, so, um, uh, didn't hear it from me, but that's rolling around. Um, he, uh, all the beers I had there, I had, we had probably five or six of the beers there. They're all dynamite. He makes mm -hmm. a couple of Pilsners. So he makes one true-to-type Pilsner. Which and for folks in the beer community, that means that the water that they use to make the beer is matched to the River Pilsen in Czechoslovakia, where the recipe for that brewery or for that beer was uh, originated. And surprisingly, the River Pilsen is still a pretty clean, very clean river. And so, when you make a pilsner, you want to match the water there. Well, he makes a pilsner from Cloverdale water called Burning Daylight. I think it's called Burning Daylight. It's delicious. I highly and you can go and taste both versions. These three um, effective pilsners that you can taste, and that's very interesting. His IPAs are obviously dynamite, and a lot of you can tell this person likes to brew right now. It's a great time to go to the brewery because they're learning what they their community likes, and so there's mm -hmm. a lot of stuff on offer. And all of it's you know this I he grew up in that. If you've been to Hopland. The Hopland Brewing it was his dad that was a brewer. He grew up like waiting tables and cleaning and like, so he grew up in a brewery. Um, okay. And his name is Kevin Lovett, I believe. Um, the other great thing is he has a friend and business partner paired up to offer food. Wow. I had onion rings, homemade beer battered onion rings in the style that like homemade style, not out of a box, not frozen dynamite so all the food there was great and you know matches the sort of pub experience and environment mm -hmm. you like to have highly recommend it 
super low key. Um, Cloverdale is this town that hasn't been really developed yet. It's sort of like 20 to 30 years behind the rest of, you know, that's my opinion, Sonoma County. Um, so a lot of people can come and try stuff like breweries and bakeries and restaurants and art galleries. So it's, it's got a, you know, it's got a neat little developing community there. And when you have people like the folks at Wolfpack, you know, certainly fun to, uh, to go and experience, um, that environment. Heading South, um, when I was at, when we went to Starks the other night, um, I had obviously eating red meat, good time to eat um, or drink some um, red wine. It had a standout Cabernet um, from Mersane, Mersane wine, um, Vineyards in Alexander Valley. M-E-R-S-E-E, uh, sorry, M-E-R-S-E-N-N-E. So they made a Cabernet, um, a 2015 Alexander Valley Cabernet called SO45. And it was actually, I didn't know this when I had it. It's, it's, uh, there's an indie, British indie pop band called Scars on 45, evidently as a collaboration. Um, it had, to, it has to be to date, probably the most fruit forward Cabernet I've ever had. So it had these like fruit forward, um, all the fruit in the Cabernet was very prominent you know almost like a pinot so all of the you know sort of cherries and black fruit and you know sort of things that you would get from a cabernet you could clearly taste but it still had those cabernet sort of tannins and mouthfeel dynamite wine and so um i don't think they make it every year so i would highly recommend folks who are interested in, in having a fruit forward cab you know, if you have somebody who's a big Pinot drinker, not necessarily a big cab drinker, this is the one to go try it. I, it was, I didn't take a lot of notes because it was at dinner and, mm -hmm. you know, I could read the notes off the site. But for me, the big thing that just stuck in my head is like, wow, this is like a, this is like a Pinot and a Cabernet got together. <laughs> and, 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 uh, you know, like it, it shows like both qualities of those wines. It was a really interesting wine. And then the last place that we've been enjoying is a place that's not too far from here. Al, you probably know this place, Old Possum Brewery. I don't. They're over by where you work. Um, okay. Up over by the Crush. So if you know where the Crush Studios are, they're down that road. Okay. Um, another great brewery that's got awesome food and awesome beers. I had two of their IPAs yesterday. So um, one was called um, like Dawn to Dusk or something. Pretty traditional Cali IPA, um, um, uh, you know, not overly hoppy, um, really nice balance of hop hops. Um, and I would say a little more bitter than the other IPA that I had there called Unincorporated. Highly recommend Unincorporated. It hits all of the notes from a, uh, from an IPA that you expect the right amount of bitter, the right, uh, right, around, uh, um, my, right amount of hops. And then um, what was most interesting about this beer was sort of the balance of it across. Um, it had that really nice kind of caramely, you know, um, you know, malty sort of flavors that you get when you taste the IPA along with the hops and the bitterness. It was just mm -hmm. to be really nicely balanced. What's interesting about that brewery and a lot of the breweries in Sonoma County, this brewery is actually making a note of telling you what hops are in the beer and they're also growing their own hops. Um, and so... Um, really cool place to go. And they have out plenty of outdoor 
you know, outdoor seating and dining and food there. Um, awesome. I don't know. We had a, um, a chicken sandwich and a falafel yesterday. The food rotates. I know they make it every day there. You just, you know, so whatever you get there is fresh. Um, it's great. So that's what we've That sounds doing. good. I'll have to, um, that's like you said, that's kind of right around the, right around the corner. Yeah, it is. It's really around the corner. And it's a really just, it's a, they got the right vibe. You know, brew pubs find their vibe or they don't. This place has got the right vibe. Excellent. Um, excellent. And I'm so that's looking at their, I'm looking at their website and I was looking at that sandwich on that brioche bun. Jeez. Yeah. That, it's, it's, that looks no, ridiculously I mean, it's, good with yeah. that cold, that, that, uh, that coleslaw that they got on top of it. It looks like a, looks like a, a pulled pork sandwich with a bunch of coleslaw in it. And that, that works. They have a smoker. So the owners will go, the owner will go smoke stuff periodically. So you'll find pulled pork or, um, <clears throat> you know, whatever they feel like eating that day, I guess. I, when we got there, we got there yesterday, yesterday at like three thirty, and you know, by the time we left, we weren't there that long an hour. I think two yeah. of the sandwiches had already sold out. So, you know, it's not it's not out of a box. Old possum. Old okay. possum. Yeah. Uh that that on it like I didn't buy any now that I'm talking about that unincorporated IPA. Mm-hmm. I think I'm gonna go get some today. They sell they sell crawlers. They sell uh the cans. Okay, gotcha. so you can go get the cans, and they they're they're doing a lot of canning. So anyway, um, yeah, I love the fact that they're, yeah, I'm living in the right place. <laughs> yeah, we really are. We're, we're I mean, it's blessed to be in this. You know, this all spot. of the and you know all of the gloom and doom around COVID and the fire, certainly for sure. But I would say, hey, you know, if you listen to us and you live in 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 any of these, if you listen to to us, regardless of where you live, please go. Um, you know, patronize your restaurants and all of your local purveyors. Um, they do need your support. They do need your support. And there's only so much cooking you can do at home. So might as well go either get takeout or have something out. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Well, Bill, we better wrap it up. I think we went past the 30 minutes. Yeah, I'm sure we we always do. A bunch of, I, I can blow, pull my string. I'll blow V8 for hours. Um, <laughs> sad but true. Um but hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, you can hit Al and have a dialogue with him on the Twitters, him and yeah. his 10,000 friends. Um, <laughs> no, but all seriousness aside, you, you know, we, we appreciate that interaction. Um, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please leave us a review or give us a nice um, star rating there. Uh, you can hit us up on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. And you can always email us at info at vino101.net. And last but not least... If you do like what you hear, please tell a friend. Cheers. Cheers, everybody.